to live righteously. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. As the music indicated, it is an Articles of News episode that is full, chock full of a, a bunch of different things. In the second block, uh, my frenemy, uh, Jeff Openshaw from over at This Week in Mormons, he joins us. If you are wondering uh, all of the things that you need to know about to impress the people in your ward about Ukraine, that is what the second block of this episode is all about. He gives a history of why there are uh, is what's going on, uh, gives us a little bit about what it has to do with the church in Kiev, and also talks about his time living there as well. Uh, he he especially uh, likes to say, you know what, I'll be brief, and then pontificates for a bit. So look forward to that in the second block. In the third block, uh, Marshall Moore from the... Uh, the uh, LDS Film Festival will be here telling us about all the stuff that comes out for the LDS Film Festival this weekend, including uh, the name tease, uh, the change that they're doing with the LDS Film Festival, except he doesn't talk about it in this episode because when we recorded it, he was like, I better not say anything. And then he told somebody else and I was like, gosh, dang it, Marshall, come on. We could have broke it here in the hall. So that's the third block. Uh, right now, though, Kurt Frankham, how are you, sir? Yo, I'm here. I, I'm I, here to, to to start the. I'm like the pre-pontification. Uh, no, you will we pontificate. Hear from Listen, uh, hey. for people who don't know the relationship that Kurt and I have, uh, Kurt sends me weird things in the mail, and then I reference them, and then he forgets <laughs> that uh, he sent them to me. One <laughs> That's was true story. True story. He, he sent me a leading saint shirt, which I said this will be fun to paint, sweat, or sleep in. And then the second thing is he sent me some. Like it's like a challenge coin or something that essentially said, "Hey, dude, I'd kill someone for you," and you forgot that <laughs> no, you no. even sent that to me. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to give me a little context. You, you, if you saw the the chat feed that Richie sends me, it starts randomly, and mm -hmm. it's sort of a game. It's like, okay, I'm getting a message from Richie. Let's get out my Dakota ring here and see mm -hmm. if I can uh, figure out what he's talking to. So, uh, yeah, it took me a minute, but I came around to uh, what you're what you're thinking. If you guys don't know Kurt and Leading Saints, it is a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to, he's got a whole spiel that he does at the beginning of every one of his episodes. Hey, isn't that what you're supposed to do, Richie? I mean, uh, give okay. the old intro sure. and say, this is what we are. I'm sure. Sure. Right. It is. I mean, I'm only, you're my Yoda. You're my podcast oh, Yoda. Stop Richie. it. And do I listen or do to not you. say that. There is no trying to say that. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, no, they do a great job being a better leader. You know, my dad, did I tell you the story about my dad and Leading Saints? Uh, so, so my dad, did, does, my dad does not listen to the cultural hall and I work with a lot of different podcasting clients and you are number three of people that like, we don't work together, although you help out like you're doing on this episode and some other stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when I used to work with Deseret News and with Boyd Matheson, my dad printed out the transcript of a podcast that he really <laughs> liked about Boyd, that Boyd Matheson did. And I was like, dad. I edit this. Dad, I produce this. I know what this is. And he's like, oh, that, that's one of the ones you do? And then uh, you're another one where he's like, have you heard of this leading saints? And I was like, yes, Dad. Remember, check your messages and look back. You can search for when I said, I think you would really like leading saints. Right. And you probably enjoy. referred him to it, yeah. right? In yeah. the beginning. Yes. And then yes. he's like, man, I love this. I should yeah. tell Richie about it. Yeah. Yeah. He, I referred one uh, to him about boundaries. He is a recently called elders quorum president, and mm -hmm. he's, he's doing too much. Nice. 
I mean, so it's not, good. not like not like ward boundaries, but yeah. like uh, emotional boundaries. Yeah, well, like boundaries. like so he's retired and he feels the need to be able to and 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 I'm not knocking him, but I think that he just sometimes do, does too much. He needs mm-hmm. to keep it in context. So yeah, yeah. So Kirk cool. does like a thousand episodes a week. If you need to check those out, uh, and Richie find, is catching up. Yeah, leading saints wherever you get this. Uh, I'm catching up. Some of the random messages that Kurt uh, referenced is that I'll text him when I'm at the gym at 5.30 in the morning, and I'll be like, you know, she's right. And Kurt will say, I, I don't have any idea what, what you're <laughs> yeah, even what, talking about. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is the game that Richie plays, and I enjoy it. So but, you brought, but you've brought news. You've brought news as we do articles of news. Normally, we take a break, and then we say, hit it, Peter. But right now, we're just going to say, hit it, Peter. You can't lose articles of news. And away we go. What news do you have, Mr. Frankum? Oh man. Well, I mean, I I come a little unprepared here, but I've got well, sure. the uh, the the uh, cultural feed in front of me, and I've listened to uh, the most recent, um, you know. Oh yeah, you wanted to start there, uh, episode five hundred and eighty-one, oh, yeah. which is yeah. "Who Killed Joseph Smith?" The air quote documentary uh, about that uh, maybe the uh, the martyrdom of Joseph Smith was an inside job. I've already had some pretty interesting comments about it. I'd love to hear yeah. what you thought. So. So I listened to it last night. On, I was driving home from Provo, from your workspace, actually. Uh-huh. And, Where uh, they didn't hire me. I appreciate you letting me yeah, know okay. about that. Thanks. little caveat here. I yeah. got hired. I'm a caricature artist, uh, side gig, right? And so I get hired by BYU TV to do characters at this influencer event. They're, they're launching this. Or it's a premiere of a new show they're doing. And so I'm there thinking, oh, this is cool. This is where Richie works. I'm sitting down. I'm drawing people. And all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. There's a DJ here. Why isn't it Richie? Like he yeah. literally works down the hall. But anyways, I'm we're... I'm going to ask them about that. You should. Gonna, I I I I am because I know they pay well, especially uh-huh. 1099 outside folk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just be like, hey, just so you know, like I, I do this most nights. I would love to be able to, you know, stay yeah. at work and set up here, but. So yeah. it goes. Anyways. So um, then on my way home from Provo, I was uh, listening to this episode, but I, before I jumped in obviously you were being a good interviewer you weren't there to debate nor did you have you know a dog in the fight per se but what was your as far as his the level of credibility and 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 you watched his film too right sure like, yes. what what was your overall like walking away from the film and the interview where were you at with with him and and everything he well, professes okay so i mean i let, let me let me throw out this caveat in that okay. i don't know I mean, we really, you know, his point and the way that he's able to leave like that sliver of, you know, uh, of doubt in there is that we don't know. The only mm-hmm. ones that know are the people that were there, right? right. So I'm, I'm willing to give him that thought. Sure. Of, okay, we, yeah, we don't know. Beyond that, I don't believe a lick of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it, and it's sort of like he is, uh, it sounds like a wonderful individual and and he's very passionate about something. And I know what it's like to be passionate about something that a lot of people don't care about, like leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, Pers- you know, just to you know, say a personal example, uh, but he is like a per- perfect case study of just how the thought process and the thinking happens online of when it comes to conspiracy theories. Like we find one shady corner that could be something else. And then it explodes into all of these assumptions that, as he was saying, so it's got to be this or it's got to be that. I'm like, well, no, it doesn't. There's probably a thousand different 
uh, possibilities of way, what it could be. It doesn't have to be that John Taylor was in on it all or Bergen yeah. Young was after him anyway. So uh, really, but I, and I've told you privately, like there's some people you have on the culture hall. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't think that's helpful to interview that guy. This guy, again, definitely not, um, I wouldn't agree with much of his research or what he's done, nor am I an expert. So what, what does that matter? But, um, but this one was entertaining. I think it really gave a perception of how people um, approach information as it relates to our faith tradition and sometimes get it completely wrong. Well, well, and to me, like, like you mentioned, very passionate. He's spent a lot of his own money and his own time. And, and if that's a thing, you know, that, that he wants to chase down, you know, okay. Like Mm -hmm. some would say the amount of the amount of literal weeks of my life that are recorded in the cultural hall would say, what are you wasting your time for? Yeah. You know, there's a small, you know, couple thousand people that listen to each episode and and are you really making a difference and why would you do that and what is it, you know, all oh those kind of things, right? Could sit on the outside and be like, why would you do that? It's a passion thing. I love everyone listening. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. Uh I was surprised that it went as far as him losing his membership and I, both, I both also things and that... that's what I was going to say is that that at some point for me like I'd be like I mean I mean, okay, but but in a way, I can't help but wonder if that just reaffirms, you know, in that in that part of the brain where it's like they don't know and they're scared of what I know, so they need to make sure that they, you know, that they they quash that. They got to yeah. make sure that I, and and maybe I mean, again, Kurt, we don't know, right? That that's not the sure. case. It could. Sure. It there is that sliver of possibility doubtful sliver of possibility that it is a calculated attempt to keep his voice quiet because right. of something that occurred in Carthage. And in his defense, I sort of was surprised that a stake presidency even took this on. I mean, for, for many reasons, but, and, and obviously I weren't, I wasn't in these uh, conversations and there's probably more that they haven't considered, but it, it almost seems like a, like just hearing him and his passion and whatnot, I can almost see a stake president or a church leader just saying like, you know what, Justin is very passionate about this. He's completely off his rocker with it, but do we really need to go after this guy? You know, let's just let him do his thing and produce his video. It doesn't seem like this is getting a lot of his, his movies getting a lot of traction. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, anyways. It, well, it's, and I think, I think some of that has to do with the roulette, like that we've talked about so many times, yep, right? Yep, sure. Because if someone thinks, hey, man, it's anything, it, if you are involved with anything that is counter to the church, we need to weed it out. Right. And then there are other, you know, folks that are like, yeah. it's not, okay. Yeah. So that part was kind of tragic, you know. Yeah, of, I, absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you as far as that goes. Yeah. Cool. Um, but, but you would encourage people to listen. And let me just yeah. say this about that. Because I know that there's more than just you that go, what are we doing here, Richie? (laughs) So on some of them, it it is just blatant curiosity. And on on some of them, too, it is a curiosity that is uh, mixed with, I don't even understand this. Like uh-huh. how you arrived to that point, right? Like there's a curiosity, like, oh, there's a film and there's all this, yeah. you know. Like how, how, you, how do you tick, right? Like that's, yeah. that's the interesting yeah. part of it, right? And, and then just to be able to be like, yeah, come in, tell me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good day. And, and, and I do believe you do create a, a good service that way where there are individuals that 
many people think they don't need a platform, but hey, you know what? Richie's going to take one for the team here. He's going to open up his platform. He's going to talk about it and they'll walk away feeling like, you know what? Someone finally listened yeah. and away they go and maybe they can find some rest and some peace in their life because Richie listened, right? Yeah. Yes. So I hope that you go back and listen to that. That's episode yeah. 581. Uh, the most recent. We've had some other folks on. I know you talked to the Blair Hodges. That was our 580. Yeah. Uh, has that has your episode with Blair already posted? Oh yeah, I was weeks ahead of you. Oh, which is yeah. Typical, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Typically, yeah. we totally kind of sure. we get the A list. Everyone first runs and then, the cir- yeah. the circuit. <laughs> ah, I wonder what they're going to talk about. That's right. That's right. Um, what other news stories do you have? Well, obviously, uh, as will be highlighted later in your recording here, with as you talk with Jeff about Ukraine and Russia, the conflict happening there that's just tragic and hard to watch. And I hope something just happens and we all just go back to not being focused on a war that because the war has ended or people have moved past that. But anyways, uh, there is a Ukrainian Latter-day Saint uh, leader who shared some of his food storage and posted a simple, uh, simple, I uh, was it a TikTok and Instagram or something about how he, you know, was grateful for profits that he'd gathered this food storage and not that you know he's in this corner eating his uh, potato flakes or whatever, but he's actually going, you know, out and sharing this with his neighbors and people who, uh, need needed this help at this time i mean this is what uh these are this is like the worst case scenario of food storage that we we talk about that no it never happens but it's cool to hear that sort of that faith promoting story of of service happening in ukraine well and if you can put yourself into the position of like l- literally everything around you is turmoil and people run into the store and things doubling in price etc cetera, etc cetera, yeah like you think about the peace that you would find from just being like, I've got this. Right. Like it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, demand peace. It doesn't change the conflict. It doesn't protect you from having, you know, missiles or bombs or gunfire or anything like that. But it is one less thing that you're worried yeah. about going, yeah, this really sucks. But you know what? I've, I, I, I prepared beforehand and now I can rely on this. And because I'm as prepared as I am, there's an opportunity for me to give to other people who might be in need. I think yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, and I think we, we all got a flavor, a teeny flavor of this with, you know, in uh, March, 2020, when COVID hit and things were shutting down and I, there was a moment where like we ran out of toilet paper around my house mm-hmm. and, you know, I called my brother and he had some, it was fine. But even now I'm thinking, you know, maybe every month or two, I should just buy an extra package of toilet paper. So that that does happen again, I'm not in that position. You know, it wasn't tragic or life's weren't uh, on the line or anything, but uh, just those little things that, you know, the prophets have been encouraging us to do that uh, come through in the end. Uh, Over at Leading Saints, you guys have done stuff for like LGBTQ saints and you've done stuff for uh, single saints. Um, Yes, Richie. Have you done ever done anything for divorced saints? So we did the part of the single saints. We had a few uh, sessions related to divorce, but not as good as the recent episode you did, Richie. That was pretty solid. Well, I thank forget you. her name. And, yeah. and uh, Tanya Hale is her name. What yeah. I am um, fascinated about is that this sort of came on the radar and then left. Did you know that there was a two day conference at BYU for divorced and devout saints? Had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's BYU Life After Divorce Conference. It happened for two complete days. It's Obtaining Peace and Healing Through Jesus Christ two-day conference. Uh, It's Financial Decisions After Divorce, Letting Your Light Shine Again, Post-Divorce Litigation, Helping Children Navigate Through a Divorce. It's like the quintessential, yes, the church needs this so much, and it was a small blip 
on one of my news catchers at the very bottom. And I was like, I would have loved to help people know that this was a thing and yeah, right? and and know that this exists. So I, I may reach out to them and find out more about their conference. It apparently is an annual thing. Wow. So this wasn't the, the first one. No. Wow. And they do and, and they do sessions for widows because that's one obviously a way that people can be single and in their midlife, but also divorce as yeah. well. And and, and it's about. and it is put on by BYU? Yes. Wow. You I know, had no I big, had no idea. And this is sort of as you and I know as professional content creators, we see this, especially with large organizations like BYU. I go through this every year with education week. I go to education week. It is remarkable. The content is top notch, but it's like so 1980s of how they handle it. Like you get a ticket and you got to go to the campus. I'm like, why aren't we putting this online? Like, mm -hmm. why aren't the saints in the UK getting this? Like, it's so good. Right. And it's just sort of frustrating to see that they, where they could easily have called both you and I and said, Hey, can we come on your podcast and promote this? We'd be like, yes, yeah. like, let us do this. Let's get this message out there. And how can we get more saints? Yeah. But if they do it online, will people come to Zion, come to Zion? You got a point there, Richie. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the groundbreaking for the Grand Junction Temple set for the 16th of April. How many temples will that make it in Colorado? Four. Nope, three. Oh, nice. Sorry, my family sorry. actually lived in Grand Junction for a few years before I was born. So there's... My tie-in that has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, so. so you can go back and visit the uh, the the land of your forefathers as the yeah. Uh, yeah my grand... brother was born there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Grand you go back to the hospital. Rah, rah. Great. It, it, yeah. It, they they actually they thought about uh, naming it the Frankum Temple, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They decided that, Grand Junction when all. I'm still working done. on the Taylorsville Temple being changed because that's that will be my I, when mm. I bag groceries across the street from that in high school that temple. Mm. So, mm -hmm. uh, how many saints in Colorado? Any idea? Um, uh, 400,000. Nope. 150,000. How many ah. congregations? Uh, that would be, I don't know, like, uh, 70. Nope. 311. You are oh, the worst geez. at these games. <laughs> All right. And the last thing, the property that the temple was, uh, is going to be built on, uh, purchased in 2019 for 2.25 million dollars. It's going to be a single story building. Uh, that will be about 25,000 square feet. Nice. Hey, Richie, did you know that Elder Christofferson dedicated the country of Gambia? Now, I, 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 I think I'm saying this. that right. Yes. I, I think I'm saying Gambia right, but uh, I'm not good at names of countries. I'm foreshadowing a, another part of the, the episode here, but anyways. It, it could be Gambia, Gambia, I suppose. Gambia. Yeah, Gambia. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, what this uh, story in particular made me think was, how many places are not dedicated still? That's true. Because, huh? because Elder Christofferson was like, let's open this land for the preaching of the gospel and the, and the formation of the church. You know, like when we hear about uh, Orson Whitney in Jerusalem, and like when we hear about like blessing the, the West when the saints went West, and they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll... we'll preach to the Native American people, like those things of a hundred plus years ago, it was like a last Tuesday when Elder Christofferson was like, right. hey, Gambia, let's let's do this here too. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah, especially in West Africa where things, I get the impression things are just rocking with the church in West Africa. Yeah. Most of Africa, as I understand it, at yeah, least sure. in places where we can't even teach. Uh, any idea how many are, are not, I'm not going to ask you as a quiz because you never know. I don't actually know either, <laughs> but I, I've got to think it's not... Not not plentiful. How and many? I wonder what the standards are if like the 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 local, you know, the 
local government has to recognize the church or, uh, or if there's a, have to be like a missionary effort there. Like mm-hmm. I wonder what those are. So I'm sure Jeff would know. Yeah. You should have him. Back. You know what? He would don't, know. don't reference him like that. He'll be in here Sorry. later talking about Ukraine, but don't, <laughs> don't reference him. Like he knows something that I don't know. <laughs> that, that's true. Okay? I mean, this guy, All right, can let's, you believe that let's, guy? Let's keep gloves up. He, he I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what he, knows. he probably doesn't know. Uh, are you watching the America's Got Talent Extreme? Uh, I don't have like any other. I don't have cable. Like I can only get internet, you know, Netflix and things. So are, are, probably not. Do you only get living scriptures into your home? Yes. Yes, that's true. I Which, do by get the way, scriptures. if you want to get living scriptures and you want the first month for free, there's a link in our show notes. You can <laughs> be able to say, do that. Where's the promo? I, I miss the promos, Richie. The, oh, where listen, they come it's right there. Here. It's right there. Well, I know, but they come on and tell like what's new and what they're watching. And okay, I'll get them to come fun. back. Okay, hey, I will get saying, them to come back. I'm just there's, one listener and I've got some feedback. There's a link in the show notes and we'll be able to get it to you. <laughs> there's a guy by the name of Aaron, air quotes, Wheels, Fotheringham. He uh, has spina bifida. He is a member of the church. And what he does on that show is insane. Like jumps and hurls his body in a wheelchair on America's Got Talent Extreme. Yeah. That, he's that's a the, crowd pleaser? Yes. Yeah. Nice. He's a member of the church from uh, from Las Vegas, Nevada, where he and his wife were married in the Las Vegas, Nevada temple. Um, he was born and uh, with spina bifida and endured 23 surgeries to correct physical disabilities in his lifetime. Uh, Simon Cow, you know, the cranky one. <sighs> said, you define why we made this show, in my honest opinion. This is what we're looking for. You're an amazing person. You have every chance in whizzing, th- in whizzing, in <laughs> winning this. I turned my ends on their side and made them Z's. So in <laughs> winning that, this. So it's you? very cool. Way to go, Wheels on America's Got Talent Extreme. Nice. What else you got, Richie? Oh, I've got, uh, do you like lists? You want to blow through a couple uh, you, lists real quick? I don't, but I know you do. So. Uh, well, this is a list of um, 25 things that are different for missionaries now than from when we served a mission. Nice. For missionaries that are serving now, General Conference has always been held in the conference center in Salt Lake. Nice. Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, the missions that are missionaries that are serving now, their parents could have served missions behind the former Iron Curtain. There have always been a hundred temples in operation for the missionaries that are serving now. We're obviously talking about the, you know, 18 and 19 year old folks that are serving mission. Well, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has for most of their lives been the fourth largest church in the United States. There have always been more Latter-day Saints outside the United States than inside. The use of cell phones, tablets, is commonplace now in many missions where we didn't even have cell phones when I served. Yep. The six missionary discussions and old purple dinosaur, is that what you called it when you served? Uh, the, the missionary the, guide? The missionary guide? Yeah. I don't know if we called it that, but... Uh, yep. yeah. I don't know why we called it that either, but, but now, did you like write awesome. like how many months you were on the on the cover with the letters and the subtitle? This no. This is a thing. Okay. No, mm-hmm. I did not. Yeah, you can't like, sort of have a countdown on the cover. Now daily exercise is a mandatory part of the mission rules, whereas before you had to, like, stretch the rules to exercise. Oh. Yeah. Uh, in addition to missions all over the world, sister missionaries may be assigned to one of 11 temples visitor center, as well as over a dozen church historical sites. Nice. 
By the time that uh, missionaries serving nowadays were born, over 100 million copies of the Book of Mormon had already been published in more than 100 languages. There you go. Missionaries serving right now, it has always been BYU-Idaho as opposed to Rick's in their lifetime. They've always been able to find their ancestors on FamilySearch.org. Worldwide church membership is always numbered in the double-digit millions in their lifetime. It's a bunch of statistics. It's just an interesting look yes, back. We've... And bread was 11 cents. <laughs> we've come a long way, Richie. Uh, James the Mormon. Yeah. He's back in the news. Did you see this? He's been in the cultural hall, hasn't he? He has, in fact. Uh, when I uh, when I sat down with Jody Moore, an episode that, that we did in the past, Life Coach Jody Moore, we saw James the Mormon That's at right. that building. Uh, that we recorded it at. Uh, James the Mormon into tech now. Uh, He's no longer doing music as uh, a vocation. He does it on the side. Uh, There's an interview with him that you can find in the show notes where he's like, listen, I'm just James. But people can also find me James the Mormon, but I'm just James. Oh, okay. So we went from James the Mormon. But I'm also James the Mormon. To JTM, back to James, or just to James. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, he is 35 years old now and the CEO of Whistlepitch, which is a technology company that provides clients with trackable content and real-time analytics to help eliminate redundancy and focus efforts where they are most effective. A lot of words, and I'm not sure exactly I understand what it does. Yeah, they, they need to run that by the marketing department. Really simplify it. Get, get rid of the jargon. Sure, you know. but Whistlepitch, that's a cool name. That is. I yeah. love it. And being the CEO of Whistlepitch, also pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have other news stories, Curtis? Ah, uh, nothing that jumps out here. Where else do you want to go? All right, all right, all right. I thought this was interesting, and I know we have just a couple minutes left with you. Uh, a Utah man says a monument guarding garden depicting Jesus Christ and his connection with America through the Book of Mormon and the founding of America, so you get the feeling and flavor of what this is going to be, is on its way to becoming a reality up in Heber Valley. So Heber City, Utah. Uh, the doctor's name is Dr. Stephen Neal. He is a facial plastic surgeon and also a sculptor. He bought 10 acres of land. The uh, the uh, land and subsequent garden area is going to be called Monument of the Americas. And it will be um, different sculptures that are sculpted by him. Characters nice. from the Book of Mormon and of Christ. Sounds like a culture hall field trip. Uh, listen, field trip and future interview, if I have anything to say yeah. about it. Love he decided it. that he was dedicated his artistic efforts towards the message of the restoration of the church and the Book of Mormon. Um, he did not consider himself to be artistic, but he started doing oil paintings, then later started a nonprofit to um, share those prints. And now he's deciding, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a sculptor garden. I'm on it. Nice. Uh, other things. Uh, Tabernacle Choir, they were going to go on tour. They're not. Hmm, bummer. They were going to like Stockholm and Finland and Copenhagen. That's another one of those fun things to say because most people say Hagen, <laughs> but I think it's technically Hagen. Yeah, like Hagen das, right? Uh, <laughs> Cardiff, Wales, uh, all of the places, and they are no longer going that way. They said, hey, you know what? We want to, but eh, we can't. Just And they're it. on Spotify. I mean, really, just, just hit play. And they have four new objectives, I'll have you know. Nice. One, reach more countries on future international tours. Two, dramatically expand the choir's digital audience. 
how many Grammys does the uh, Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square need? Three, they want to diversify its membership. That's, I think, probably the most visible one that we're going to see. And four, play a larger role in the missionary efforts of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing, and I've thought about it. It's just, I think, because it's so full-time, you know, you have to be within 100 miles of downtown Salt Lake to be a part of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, and I think you're called for like three years. Now, I think it is uh, 20 years or the age of 60, whichever comes first. Yeah, but you're not called for your whole life. You can come in and come out. It's just as long as you can only be in it for 20 years. Oh, yeah, that's like the max. Yeah, that's the max. But Mm -hmm. you could be in it. Like, you have to be in the training choir, then you have to make it an audition and all that stuff. Um, But you have to live within 100 miles. And here's the stickler. Like, that gets you not into Nevada on the west. That gets you barely into Wyoming on the east, kind of into Idaho to the north, and, like, just beyond, I think, Nephi or Mona in, you know, the south Juab or, uh, you know, Utah County. There's not a lot of diversity in that 100-mile radius. But I hope they do. I hope they reach out and we get some other folks to be a part of the choir. Yeah. It'd be cool I, if, they, I, if they could take it just like, hey, we're going to do the the Tabernacle Choir in you know the eastern states in Virginia this year, and obviously that you know the Tabernacle is such a big part of that. But you know, it'd be cool to figure out a way to include more members, and you definitely get a more diverse crowd that way. But uh, a couple other dream. quick things: rocket fuel at a BYU uh, dorm. I mean, why not? A 22 year old male resident told university officials he's only trying to replicate something they'd see online. Adding it was not a school project, flames quickly spread onto the walls and the ceiling around the stove, setting off fire alarms and sprinklers at Heritage Halls. Nobody was injured in the explosion, even though 22 dorm residents were told to evacuate the building as it suffered extensive damage. As of Tuesday morning, the resident is not expected to face charges. You know, I was just trying to do something I saw online. (laughs) He's probably writing a new uh, paragraph in the Honor Code handbook. but Uh, Listen... I mean, I knew it wasn't safe because it's rocket fuel online, but what could go wrong? <laughs> what, what what could possibly go wrong here? You have to go, huh? You have no, to you're go? good. I got you're a few sure? minutes. We're good. Yeah, you let's got roll. how long? How long have we I got? Five, ten minutes. Okay. Five minutes? I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, uh, you want another list? <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. What's this one? This one is 15 facts that you didn't know about the Provo, Utah Temple. Are oh, you ready I bet for you this? I did know them. The temple was originally named what? Uh, wedding cake. I don't know. That's what that's what the joke is. Right? Nope. It looks like a wedding cake. Nope, you are wrong. Eh, zero for one. I want you to keep track on this one. It was originally called the Provo Temple. Then it was changed to the Provo, Utah Temple because of the okay, naming that, convention. That, that is a very little technicality. Which in 1893, there were four pioneer era temples in Utah, St. George, Logan, Manti, and Salt Lake. It was 74 years before another temple in Utah was announced, hmm. Provo and Ogden being those two temples that were announced at the same time. Nice. When the First Presidency announced the construction of new temples in Ogden and Provo, the four pioneer era temples in Utah were overcrowded and performing more than half of all temple ordinances in the church. Uh, the Provo Temple is designed by the same person who designed the Ogden Temple, the Sao Paulo Brazil Temple, the Tokyo Temple, Seattle Jordan River, Atlanta, uh, Tonga, the Nukufalofa in Tonga, Santiago, Chile, Mexico City, Sydney, Australia, Freiburg, Germany. All of Fetzer's temples were designed with single spires. 
Nice. And from what I remember, the, the history is that design of the Provo Temple and Ogden Temple was quite revolutionary for the church because as you think of like the Salt Lake Temple, going through that experience is quite linear, right? You go from room to room to room, mm -hmm. and then the celestial rooms at the end, where in the Provo Temple, the celestial rooms in the center with rooms surrounding it, and that, that way they could do more sessions. and Functional. Kind of a, yeah, very, very much more functional. It will not be that way with the, uh, with the changeover. Uh, the Provo Utah Temple took how long to build? Less than a year and a half. The Provo and Ogden Temples were announced and built at the same time to expedite and econo ec economize construction. In 1972, a public open house was held for the temple January 8th through the 29th. How many people do you think went through that temple back in 1972? Uh, 100,000. 246,000 people, <laughs> Curtis. I'm just pulling numbers 70,000 people attended the two dedicatory sessions of the Provo Temple. 70,000. They held it in the Marriott Center. Hmm. These are fun facts about the I'm... Provo, Utah Temple. <laughs> Since the temple also served thousands of college students and missionaries at the at the MTC, the Provo, Utah Temple quickly became the busiest in the church. How many endowment sessions a day? Uh, uh, 15. 50, five zero a That's day. You heard me wrong. <laughs> in 1973, during the temple's first year of operation, 17.7% of all temple ordinances were performed in the Provo, Utah Temple. In 1976, how many endowments were completed in a single month at the Provo, Utah Temple? How uh, many? 2,000. 76,000. You are the worst at oh this gosh. game. <laughs> Beginning in 74, sessions in Spanish for the hearing impaired for Portuguese, German, Japanese, Mandarin, and other languages all added in 1974. The Provo, Utah Temple served all of Utah Valley for 24 years until which temple was dedicated in 1996, Kurt? Jordan River? No, in Bountiful. the Utah Valley. Utah Valley. Oh, uh, that would be uh, Mount Tippinogos. There we go. And saw, served all of eastern Utah until which temple was dedicated in 1997? Uh, in the east? Uh, yep. That would be, uh, I have no clue. The Vernal Temple. Vernal, yes, of course. On May 12th, 2003, um, Angel Moroni statue is added to the temple spire. It will be removed. And Prophet Richie. Last of the 15 fun facts, when Provo Utah Temple closes for its renovation, Utah Valley is expected to have five other dedicated and operational temples. Name them, Curtis. Uh, Provo City Center. Okay. Payson. Okay. Uh, Mount Tipping Nogus. Okay. Orem. Okay. Linden. Nope. Linden uh, will not be operational. What, what, what other temple in Utah Valley? Uh, of the uh, Saratoga Springs. There it is. Boom. There I did it. I prevail in the end. He <laughs> really sucked the front end of that list, but did a great job at the uh, at the tail end there. There's a really inspiring story, you know, with all the disaster and tragedy in Tonga. I'm not going to bother retelling the story, uh, but um, some Tongan missionaries who rushed to action. It's a great read. Take you about 10 or 15 minutes. It's in the link in the show notes. Uh, the Tongan missionaries that saved lives after the tsunami and also the volcanic eruption. A tremendous story about Tongan missionaries, and so people should check that out. It's better in the reading than in the telling, because I'm not going to take the time. And then finally, Curtis, my last news story. Let's hear it. Roots Tech 2022. Boom. Fast approaching. 
the family discovery date, why it's this weekend. Mm. Uh, Elder Suarez and his wife, Rosanna, mm-hmm. uh, they'll be the featured speakers of the discovery day. It is a hundred percent virtual and a hundred percent free. You can go to familysearch.org to find out about all the classes. So if you're like, I suck at this, I don't know how to do it. You can learn. You want to participate in events. You want to see speakers. You can do that as well. It's going to be streamed in 11 languages with sessions available in as many as 40 languages. Almost 900 additional sessions from presenters around the world will be available for free and to the public and open to the public. Uh, Other folks that are going to be speaking, Food Network star Molly Yeah. Yeah, love Molly. Uh, Tice Pacholik, I think is how you say it. Go Tice. Uh, you got French baker Apolina Pagliana. Uh, sorry. Oui, oui. Mm-hmm. Uh, American actor Matthew Modine. Love Matthew in that one movie. Yeah, it was real good. Member of the church, I think, isn't he? Isn't Ma- Matthew Modine? I'm 99% sure he is. Yeah, he, he uh, I think uh, Steve Martin sent him apart. Yeah, no, I I really think he is or, or not Daniel not Martin. like Steve Martin, member of the or. church. I think he's genuinely a member of the church. Okay, uh, Diego Torres, who is an Argentinian singer songwriter, and Ghanaian boxer Azuma Nelson will be the featured keynotes at this year's Roots Tech. So nice, check it out. You can go to familysearch.org. Uh, Curtis, that's it. We got to make room for Jeff to talk All about right. the Ukraine. All right. So scooch on over. We're here on the back row. Make some room because also Marshall is coming up in the third block. He's going to talk about the LDS Film Festival, no longer named the LDS Film Festival. That's coming back in the second and third blocks of the Cultural Hall. In addition to recording this here show and putting it out week over week over week, I've been doing this for over 11 years now, and it has become part of my life that I will teach others how to do the same. Now, not necessarily the same as the cultural hall, but if you are interested in doing a podcast, you've thought, oh man, you know what, I've got this great idea. Uh, I do help folks in a couple different ways. Uh, One is I teach a class. It's got curriculum and assignments and the whole deal uh, that I can be able to help you walk through through as you are looking to start a podcast, uh, or if you're looking for someone to help edit, help uh, produce, help uh, you know consult on a weekly basis with your podcast, you can also reach out to me. And the best way, probably, honestly, to do that is if you find me, Richie T. Stedman, on any social media, that is a great way, or you can always just email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Would love to help you out. Would love to talk to you about your idea. Would love to see if it would be something that uh, we could put into to, uh emotion. Let's do it. I almost said put into practice. That doesn't make sense. Uh, Send me an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops with breaking news. Windows 11 is now here. It's fast and it's beautiful. So let's make sure your computer's ready to run it. Bring your PC into any PC Laptops right now at PCLaptops.com. PCLaptops.com. Here in God, the sec- I should, I should oh, leave the meeting. Come on, Jeff. It you says, walked says I can right over the, the intro. You walked right over it. says it. I can leave the meeting if I don't want don't, to be recorded. Don't leave the this. meeting. It's oh, okay. Jeff from This Week in Mormons, the unfortunately named. You couldn't yeah. have known. You couldn't have known that that was coming. Uh, I appreciate you being here to talk all things Ukraine. Yeah, what's up, man? How you doing, Jeremy? Uh, okay. uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. Real sure. funny. Real <laughs> funny. Hey, Richie. Hey. Richie Stedman. 
What's up, my friend? Uh, let me ask you uh, about Ukraine. You have uh, covered this quite a bit over at This Week in Mormons. And is it because you lived there that you are so incredibly passionate about it? Uh, I mean, it, it's a mixture of things. I, I lived over there. I, I did a program through BYU when I was getting my undergrad there. We did some, uh, I got to do a cool research project uh, studying democratization trends, relations with Russia, relations with the European Union. I, I, we did a public opinion poll while we were there. This was back in 2006. So this was kind of in the wake of the so-called Orange Revolution, the first time they flirted with uh, a democratic revolution. That one didn't stick quite as well, kind of did, but it was a big mess. Anyway, um, but beyond that, it really left an indelible impression on me at the time. Um, and so I, I did a lot of my undergraduate and grad school work uh, on Ukraine, studying Ukraine and uh, democratic movements, and things like that. Uh, and I've worked significantly in my professional life on uh, issues surrounding Ukraine, particularly since the uh, seizure of Crimea, Crimea and the uh, unofficially Russian incursion into the Donbass back in 2014, eight years ago. So, so I've, been, I, I've been involved in covering that. And of course, even when I'm not having done that professionally for a little while, I'm still, you know, it's just been a big part of my life. And I recognize that to a lot of people, most of what you just said, they just went true and don't really understand it. My hope really in having you here in the cultural hall is just to give like a, here's what's going on here. Here is why we as a nation, why we as a world, as a planet should care why it matters, what we can do yeah. to help. And then I know that you have a particular connection with uh, some saints that are there actually in the country of Ukraine, and I'm curious as to know what what is being told to them on that side. So pretty much I would love it if you would pontificate, and I'll just go, hold on, I don't know what you're talking about at appropriate okay. times. Uh, how much uh, groundwork do you want me to lay here? In terms I mean, of, I think that there are a lot of people that are like, I'm, I'm going to get blue and yellow lights at my house because that's what other people are doing right yeah. now. But they really don't understand the nature of, of what all this is. So maybe a, 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 a brief, but, you know, get everybody on the primer. same page. Yeah. Um, I'll do my best here. OK. And to be to be very clear. I'm not the foremost authority on all of these issues. Yes, I've probably spent more time on it than the majority of your friends and neighbors, I would guess. Um, I mean, I live here in D.C. where there are many people more qualified than, than me to talk about this. But I don't but know in, those people. I know no. you. And, but then you reduce it down to Latter-day Saints. You know, it's a smaller window. So, so for brief background, like I mentioned there, I was there after the Orange Revolution. That happened back in 2003, 2004, when uh, basically the Russian-backed winner of an election did not actually win the election, and they were actually poisoning the opposition guy. Um, I was going to say Viktor Yanukovych, but it's not Viktor Yanukovych. It's Viktor Yushchenko. And uh, anyway, there was a peaceful revolution and then had elections again monitored by third party outsiders like the uh, you know, Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE. And the pro-Western politicians won. Things were murky there for a while. I mean, they, they kind of brought in the government, a lot of instability, yada, yada, yada. Fast forward a few years, the same guy who had basically been poisoning Yushchenko back in 04, 03 and 04, ran for president again, was essentially duly elected. He's more of a pro-Russian guy. He came into power doing his thing. You get around to, uh, in 2013, Ukraine's supposed to sign what's called an association agreement with the European Union. That's kind of one of the very first baby steps to better integration with the European Union. It's not membership in the European Union. You've seen a lot of that this week about Ukraine joining the EU. Um, they, they were offered this, but they hadn't signed it yet. But then at sort of the 11th hour, Vladimir Putin dangled an aid package to Viktor Yanukovych, the president, instead, and um, said, do this instead, do this instead. Uh, Yanukovych 180 and said he was going to do the Russian thing. The people erupted in protest because like, dude, this was a whole thing we planned on. We voted for this, all this sort of stuff. 
and you know protests in the streets. It got a little violent at times because Yanukovych sent in his goons and actually violently suppressed the protesters. But eventually, Yanukovych fled to Russia. There was a peaceful revolution. We can go back and forth all day in terms of like how involved was the U.S. and all of this stuff, either covertly or overtly, all that kind of stuff. But there was a, another revolution that ousted the pro-Russian regime. They elected a uh, at that time they elected a chocolate magnate um, to become the next president, uh, Petro Poroshenko. And uh, but then a few months later, good old Russia swoops in here and decides to seize Crimea, which is this peninsula. If you look at the Black Sea, this big fat peninsula in the middle at the top of it, it, it hangs down there. That's the Crimea. Um, Russia just straight up seized it unofficially. They had they sent little green men, as they called them. They were unmarked soldiers who came into Crimea, seized the territory, and then Crimea declared its quote unquote independence from Ukraine hmm. and then had a quote unquote election where the people then voted to for union with Russia. And Russia's completely controlled it since that time. Sorry, if this is too in-depth, you tell me. No, no, but no. I think that the, I, th- I think we're we're setting the table quite well. This is just to make sense of it. So so the idea here though, Crimea is a bit different though, if you hear about it, because uh, some will say like it's justly due to Russia. You can debate that all you want. But the thing to remember, Crimea is basically ethnically Russian, aside from a sizable Crimean Tatar population, which are a, a Muslim Turkic people who have seen their rights diminished quite a bit under Russian rule over the past eight years compared to the autonomy they had under Ukrainian rule. Um, but uh, the thing is, Crimea was part of Russia, you know, the borders shift, but it was part of Russia until like 1954 when um, when Khrushchev, almost blanked on his name, Khrushchev gave it to Ukraine as a gift, so to speak. This is a thing the Soviets did a lot. They redrew boundaries within their own socialist republics, a lot of it to prevent a single ethno-national group from kind of having um, homogeneity and feeling a sense of nationhood to rise up. So you see this, all, and this is why you've got all these broken conflicts all over the former USSR today in Moldova and Georgia and other countries as well, even in Russia. And so it wasn't as big of a stretch to get the Crimean people to go along with it. When I was in Crimea, I saw a whole lot of Russian flags. And it wasn't just because of the naval base that was there. Ukraine had leased the old um, uh, naval base to Russia after the Soviet Union fell apart. It took them many years to figure out the right balance there because under the Soviet Union, Ukraine was in the Soviet Union and the Russian maintained their Black Sea fleet out of Sevastopol. So Crimea goes away. And then there's also this new incursion that starts in 2014 in the Donbass, which is this part in far eastern Ukraine, the cities around called uh, Donetsk and Luhansk over there in the very, very far east. And this has been sort of a almost frozen conflict now for eight years. Uh, A lot of lobbying. The lines of control haven't moved much in recent years. Plenty of ceasefire violations. But it's just kind of been there, just simmering without much happening for a long time. Um, I don't know Putin's mind perfectly well. I think there are many who think that Putin just kind of did this because of events in the past year as far as actually invading Ukraine. I disagree with that. I don't think um, either the current administration or the previous one is like, to, this is very political, not Latter-day Saint focused, I'm sorry, but I don't think either is exactly completely to blame for this. This has been years and years and years in the making. You can go back four presidents in the United States to see stuff that's going. This goes all the way back to like um, when NATO said maybe Georgia and Ukraine could be members someday in earlier 2008. Mm-hmm. And then by August of 2008, to kind of throw a shot across the bow, that's when Russia invaded Georgia and the little country of Georgia. Russia's very especially Putin, very cagey about needing kind of a so-called buffer zone. I don't think this justifies any actions. Some can argue a buffer zone is essential when you have great powers, in this case, NATO and Russia, and that there should be buffer states, places in between that are non-aligned, quote unquote. You kind of had that during the Cold War, like some countries like Finland, Sweden, Austria, none of them are in NATO still. And they, you know, they weren't back then either. Um, they were just kind of there as neutral countries to sort of be a buffer in between the great competing powers. And some would argue Putin still wants that today. I think that logic doesn't really make sense. 
because at the same time, if Putin wants a buffer state, he's spoken very clearly in the past two weeks that Ukraine shouldn't even exist in the first place. So whether you want it to be a client state or just subsume it completely and absorb it into Russia, I, I don't know. So anyway, so it's a bit of a uh, a bit of a tragedy. What's going on right now, to say the very least? Uh, you have. Putin decided after months of amassing troops along the border, both on Russia's border with Ukraine and neighboring Belarus's border with Ukraine. We can't leave Belarus out of this conversation, by the way. Mm -hmm. They're not getting a lot of headlines for it. But for all the sanctions that are being lobbied onto Russia, should probably consider doing the same to Belarus because the entire um, attempted siege against Kiev right now, the capital of Ukraine, is coming from Russian troops streaming in from Belarus because north of Kiev is the border with Belarus, not with Russia. And they're all they're all transiting through that main highway that goes right there. Uh, Belarus is just as culpable here, even if it's not their troops. And it, it actually might even be their troops. There was some news yesterday. They might throw their troops into the mix. So it's a very tragic and difficult situation. Um, I don't. There's no way to justify it. I think it's been fascinating to watch how many individuals and the weeks prior were being more sympathetic at times to Putin. Well, look, he has security concerns. If NATO didn't expand, this wouldn't happen. Yada, 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 yada. I think we could go back decades and question both NATO expansion or maybe how we expanded NATO. I think there was a big attitude at the end of the Cold War of, hey, we won. Mm -hmm. And it's great that Russia's got Yeltsin now. Maybe we can be buddies. I mean, Yeltsin even said maybe Russia would join NATO. It was kind of more of a flippant comment. But Vladimir Putin does not see things that way. He sees the fall of the USSR as a great tragedy. Not that he is an ardent communist, but that he is an ardent Russian imperialist, I think we would say. So uh, so let me ask you something in, in, yeah. in, in all that, knowing that it is consuming... Literally every waking moment of the the uh, headlines here, you know, depending sure. on whatever yeah. news network you are, there is that that particular network spin on it. What? Why do you feel like? I mean, in a in a way, why do you feel like we should care? It's all over there, but people care. Why? Why? Why should we care? And why does it seem like we care so much more about this than we have about even this before with Crimea or uh, or other issues? Mm. In the past, and there were a lot, of, and like when Crimea and all that happened, there were major headlines for sure. sure. It was a big deal, but then it kind of died off, like these things do. I mean, I feel like you're already seeing a slight easing of coverage on the Ukraine front, I, only in that, like on on news websites, it's not every headline is dominated by Ukraine. You'll see a couple things sneak in there. It might be about something else, like the State of the Union is mm -hmm. tonight, mm -hmm. the day we're recording this. You know, um, I almost called you Jeremy again, Richie. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> How dare but, you? Um, I know. Um, we should care for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's hard to divorce ourselves from what the politics of this could mean, but also as Latter-day Saints, there are reasons to care about what is happening. And I will agree, I think there's a certain terrible ethnocentrism that goes on uh, in the same respect, because there are um, you know, there are conflicts all around the world. We don't have really, really clear examples like right now of a neighboring country just straight up invading the other one. That hasn't happened for some time. Usually it's proxy wars or it's um, civil strife, things like that that are happening internally, and we don't like it, but it's a little bit different from what we're seeing today. Nevertheless, it's true. We kind of ignore it when like, when there's a lot of ethnic strife going on in some countries in Africa, or mm -hmm. if there have been terrorist movements in Peru over the years, or other places that just don't matter as much to Western media, unfortunately, but we should care about them more. I mean, they're not. But what we care about here, the big deal is because Russia is Russia. This is not Afghanistan. This is not Iraq. This is a nuclear state with the second largest arsenal of nuclear weapons in the world, a huge military and a whole lot of experience doing exactly what they're doing. I mean, this it's Russia and they are invading a neighboring state. 
with the potential to plunge the world into greater conflict. You've probably seen a lot of headlines about uh, NATO, for example, and, and what NATO's response should be. And they're walking a very thin line there, as is the United States. And they have to, because under Article 5 of NATO's charter, that's when it says if uh, if you attack one of us, you've attacked all of us, all 30 countries that are in NATO. It says you've, you've jumped in the whole fray. Uh, the only time Article 5 has ever been triggered, incidentally, was after 9-11. NATO hmm. countries called up Article 5 to protect the United States, which was very nice of them. Good on them. So we're very wary of this because Na- Ukraine is not a member of NATO. So we're not under a, a contractual obligation to support them. But we are under, I think, uh, an emotional and philosophical obligation to support them because they are a democratic country, a very a flawed country, to be sure. Lot, plenty of corruption in Ukraine. Uh, struggles to implement a lot of market reforms, lot, lots of things you could check off, right? But they are a democratic country that's had free and fair elections and they have a freer press. And you know, and we stand for that in the United States, at least. And we stand for that as Latter-day Saints. I think you'd be hard-pressed to look at our history and not see how often church leaders overtly went after the Soviet Union and communism, mm-hmm. you know, from the pulpit even. And that was not considered weird. Which, if I can pontificate a little bit, makes, I think, the first presidency statement this past a couple of days ago about the quote unquote armed conflict that named nobody slightly disappointing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I don't, we don't have to go on a huge rant about that. But I think it's it's also understandable because during the Cold War, we didn't have missionaries and members in the Soviet Union. But today we have missionaries and members. We have volunteers and members and allegedly a temple. I was someday. just going to say, and someday a temple of location not determined in, in Russia. And it's it's very clear we don't want to poke the bear as they say, when it comes to our relationship with Russia as a church. Part of that I understand because Mm -hmm. our first responsibility as a church and as Latter-day Saints is to let as many people as possible hear the gospel, hopefully let the word of Christ be a a motivator for peace as well, right? Um, But that's our game as a church. The church is not a pro-democracy NGO, Mm -hmm. uh, officially anyway. And if we were, we'd have trouble operating in a lot of places where we operate around the world. If you were to compare a map of where the church has activity and like types of governments around the world, like where where do we have authoritarians? uh, We're operating in a lot of countries that don't necessarily have uh, the rights to democracy, freedom of the press, lots of things like that. But we feel fortunate to at least be able to be active in those countries in one form or another. So I totally understand why... Salt Lake uh, and its lawyers probably are are a little are trying to be very careful with even saying the words Russia invaded Ukraine, which is a factual statement, um, even if you don't want to give it more context than that. So I think we should care because, you know, Ukraine is a democracy and we do believe in this idea of peace and we believe in agency. And that's Mm -hmm. a big thing we care about as Latter-day Saints. Like we believe in the right for all men to determine their own form of being of government, of being governed, of having the freedom to make choices that they want to make and not being subjugated to evil and to war and to violence. And we're extremely against war. You can find so many countless um, comments by church leaders dating all the way back, you know, from World War II all the way up here about how against war the church is in terms of solving a problem. The situation changed a bit. We're more of a global faith than we used to be back then when there were a lot of those conflicts. But uh, I really hope that people will take this seriously because it is a threat to global security, honestly. Like if NATO gets dragged into this, that's a big old problem for everybody. Um, This goes on for a long time. It's terrible for, of course, the poor Ukrainians. We think about NATO, we think about ourselves, but the people who have it the worst right now are the people in Ukraine where almost a million of them have fled the country so far at the time of our recording. Um, many, many more will follow after that. You have Putin is, is straight up shelling residential areas now um, with impunity, just doesn't even care. And this is a humanitarian catastrophe. And we should uh, definitely care about our brothers and sisters, whether in our faith or not, 
and do what we can do to uh, alleviate their pain, to bear their burdens, to mourn with those who mourn. A couple of things kind of with that that I've noticed, uh, specifically Latter-day Saint news out of Kiev, or Kiev, sorry. Kiev. I know, listen, that's one of the things that I think most of us have learned through this whole thing, is that for the longest time, I think we thought it was Kiev, and it's Do you want to know, do you understand what the differences there are? Do you want to know real quick? Uh, This can be very fast. Yes, I would. Briefly, okay. briefly, Jeff. Kiev, K-I-E-V, is the uh, transliteration means when you take a word in its in its original tongue or the word, language it's spoken in and put it in a different language that's more palatable to the native speaker of the other language. In this case, Kiev is the transliteration of the Russian word for the city, which mm. is Kiev. And the way it's spelled in the, in the Cyrillic alphabet, that's Kiev. That's the Russian language spelling of that city. Um, and you'll find this is common around the world. A lot of cities in different languages sometimes even have totally different names. But Kyiv, K-Y-I-V, Kyiv is the Ukrainian transliteration of it. And uh, that's been the way the pendulum has been sifting or swinging for a little while. Uh, The U.S. government officially recognized Ukrainian spellings for place names a number of years ago. The church even did it a long time ago. I mean, the the temple in in Ukraine has always been the Kyiv Ukraine temple. It's never been the Kiev Ukraine temple, for example. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So the Kyiv temple closed. Uh, with no reopening date. And then I'm not sure if you saw this, this was a, uh, LDS living, um, article, but the, the, uh, the video of the people praying in the streets of Kiev. And I thought that was particularly touching. It's not Latter-day Saints necessarily, but in sort of that hopeful and optimistic kind of thing. The last question that I have for you, and then I set you about your day, because you've got work to do. You've got things. Um, Uh, these these widgets aren't going to make themselves. Yeah. What, what can, what can Latter-day Saints do? There's a lot of things to do. Obviously, um, I think it's sometimes wrote to say pray for places, but sincerely pray for Ukraine. I believe the Europe East Area presidency just the other day, maybe yesterday even, uh, put in a request for a fast for peace, mm. uh, which I think we should believe in. And I think we should not be be shy in our beliefs here that we do stand against tyranny as Latter-day Saints. Even if the church might feel its hands are tied a little bit to say that more directly, I think we can say that. But do it from an educated perspective point of view don't just do it from uh i'm on like you said i'm on the bandwagon i'm gonna get some yellow and blue lights and hang them around my house and Mm -hmm. change my facebook profile picture if you're doing that stuff that's great but take the time to understand what that means and what you are supporting you're not supporting a perfect country but you're just supporting other individuals rights to be free hopefully um other things you can help uh, the church is not as far as i'm aware announced any sort of particular effort i'm sure latter-day saint charities of course is actively involved in the region already Will be more so um, whether you can do like a line item on your tithing slip specifically to donate money to the Ukrainian effort is un- unclear. Uh, sometimes, you know, you can do things ad hoc if you want with the hope that the church will do that, but they haven't announced anything in particular. But there are a number of other charities if you want to get involved with it can be very useful to help Ukrainians. Most of these are to alleviate suffering and help people uh, cover things on the ground, unless some of you work for the military industrial complex and have a way to send javelin missiles, you know, on your own <laughs> over to Ukraine. But one, please. But um, but there's a lot of charities you can help out with. Voices of Children is a charitable foundation based in Ukraine, for example, that helps serve the psychological needs of children who've been affected by the country's war since mm. 2015. You can back them up. Uh, the journalists at the Kiev Independent also do terrific work. And of course, they need donations, help. They've got GoFundMe pages uh, to continue to fund the work they are doing. They are very much on the ground, deeply in it. I recommend following them on Twitter. Uh, I, I, they're obviously pro-Ukrainian, I would say, but they do a very good job showing a lot of courage and a lot of insight into what's going on. Uh, and there's lots of other things you can do. There's a number of other NGOs you can work out. You can work out. There's like uh, Razom for Ukraine is an NGO that's focused on improving Ukraine's democratic bona fides. 
assuming Ukraine has a functional government of its own choosing in the coming days, that could be a great place to work. Um, Save the Children, of course. Uh, Sunflower for Peace is another great nonprofit that helps Ukrainian orphans and internally displaced people, also mm-hmm. known as IDPs. Um, you can get in touch with them. Also, all, the, just, all these links, uh, by the way, available in the show notes. Jeff's going to send yeah, them to me, so I'll make sure we. Yeah, get you them. can get all of these. Um, and uh, I can be a little glib here. Well, one thing also, the, this one's not fake on social media. There's a thing you might have seen. The National Bank of Ukraine has created an account where ordinary people can donate to the, for the country's military. It's hmm. one of those things you might see online. You think, oh, okay, this is just something sure? that's getting shared sure, around. That's, sure. that's a scam. That one's real. Also, the Ukrainian military has called for uh, a foreign legion to, to be able to join its fighters. And I say this somewhat glibly, but if you are in the United States and you are and, and you know, you believe a lot in your gun rights and you believe you have your guns to protect yourself from tyranny from the state to fight against freedom and oppression. Now is your time to shine. Consider taking a, taking a leave of absence and going to Ukraine and, uh, you know. I'd say just put your money where your mouth is a little how, bit on that front. How much I'm gl- not telling you you should. Yeah, but how, if you, how glibly I mean, did you say? Did you give me a percentage of glibness in that? That was like 60, 60% okay, glib. Okay. I will say in all sincerity, if that is like the reason you sure. are you believe in like your right to bear arms and is to protect yourself against tyranny and protect others against tyranny, well, this is legitimately an opportunity to demonstrate, that, more so than any time in history, this is a time to demonstrate that you take that effort seriously. Well, I've got to let, uh, let you go take your flight then. Uh, so you're later today. Is that when yeah. you're leaving or is it? Too- yeah. I mean, you'll arrive tomorrow, which is yesterday, all that stuff. Yeah. Right? The great thing in Ukraine is they're really cool about automatic weapons. So I don't have to <laughs> deal with all the regulations and stuff. It's a lot more fun. Um, I, I, anyways, there's, you can get involved in a lot of good things, folks. And just like I said, pray, but also like keep the story going. It's very easy for us to get numb to these things as time goes on. The shock from last Wednesday, Thursday night, of course, has already worn off a little bit. But this is still ongoing. Russia's still in there. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. And it's going to take a strong resolve. And the last thing I want to say, though, Richie, and this, I don't want us to sound too political, but I do want us to say if we are trying to support someone like Ukraine and make a country like Russia feel the squeeze for what it's doing, ask yourself how will, what you are willing to sacrifice at an individual level in order to make that possible. Like, are you willing to pay more for gas hmm. because we eventually sanction Russia's energy industry, which would just, just decimate their economy? Like, are you willing to be a part of these collective steps that could make a huge difference in forcing Russia's hand at some point, but it could hurt for all of us to do it, but, that, but it's like joint pain that could actually affect positive change. I want to believe we can do that. COVID's made me doubt how much we can actually collectively do hard things together, right? Mm-hmm. Given how it's mm-hmm. been. But if you really believe in that, like, you know, be one. Like, I'm willing to pay a buck more a gallon at the pump if it comes to that, you know, if uh, or more, whatever, if it uh, means we're actually able to hit Russia's energy sector, for example. That's just a thing to ask yourself what you are willing to sacrifice on your own, too. Good closing words. Jeff Openshaw from over at This Week in Mormons. Find them at thisweekinmormons.com. Uh, find them wherever you're finding this episode of The Cultural Hall. And uh, you know what? You, if, you're, if you're a Patreon person, uh, I would say throw a little love Jeff's way. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Richie. If you want to hear these sorts of, of wild tangents on a show that's ostensibly about Latter-day Saint news, you can tune in to This Week in Mormons Weekly. We just published our uh, most recent episode today. It's so. actually uh, Mormon news because uh, it's This Week in Mormons. If you want it to be Latter Saint, Latter-day Saint news, you're going to have to change some things. Yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> probably fair. My, my out on this is always that, like, well, we're like 95% Brighamite church. Sure. But like every now and then we talk about James Strang yep. or the Bickertonites. Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of more under the Mormon umbrella. And, right? you're in right? the, and you're in the past. So it's Mormons. Jeff, thanks for being on. 
Thanks, Richard. Good seeing you. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, you know that you have been doing a show for a long time uh, when you are meeting and sitting down and interviewing the third owner of a film festival in the time that your show has been around. For a long time, lifers of the Cultural Hall, they'll remember, I think it was episode six, we sat down with... Christian Vuisa, who was, uh, at least at that time, the owner of the LDS Film Festival. And then a couple hundred episodes after that, we sat down with uh, the Goodmans and talked about uh, what they were doing with the LDS Film Festival. And now we have the great distinction, the honor, the privilege to be able to visit with uh, Marshall Moore, he and his wife, now the owners of the LDS Film Festival. And it's coming up. Thanks for being here, Marshall. Yeah, it is coming up. We're uh, we're in nervous mode right now, counting down. <laughs> now, tell me what nervous mode means, and tell me what we're counting down toward. We're counting down towards the LDS Film Festival, which will be Wednesday, March second, through Saturday, March fifth. And uh, nervous time means you know it's only a couple of weeks away, and we're making sure all the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, everybody's uh, you know the, the tickets are happening, and and that we're getting everybody aligned that's supposed to be there, and uh, you know all the things printed. So. It's just a combination of getting things done, you know? High level, for people that have never been to a film festival before, I think we're spoiled here in the state of Utah, but people listen to the Cultural Hall all over. What? Why Why wouldn't we just want to watch the films that we wanted to watch when we wanted to watch them not as part of a film festival? Well, yeah, there's a huge difference between going to a film festival and just going to a movie. So you go to a movie, you buy your ticket, you watch the movie, you leave. Film festival is kind of an immersive experience where – the filmmakers are there. The cast is there. You have an opportunity to, to do a question and answer session after every movie. There are panel discussions, two days of full panels where you get in and get in behind the scenes of what it what it takes to make a movie, you know, and what it what it takes to, uh, you know, raise money and, and uh, do what they do on very limited funds in a lot of cases for these independent films. So you get more insight at a film festival than you would just going to a movie. And if you like that kind of thing, a festival is the place to go. So uh, I know in iterations of the LDS Film Festival in the past that sort of the guiding principle has been that these would be films that would be appropriate for LDS audiences, not necessarily that everyone involved or the majority involved was uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Is that still the, the guiding principle? It is. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, the, the title LDS Film Festival, your immediate thought is, these are just LDS films with LDS filmmakers. And that's that's not the case. And there's going to be some changes coming up in the future that we're going to announce at this year's festival where there's going to be a shift and, and a, a name change uh, for, for the festival itself. But the idea right now is, is still the same. The, the um, you know, rules of engagement for submissions are still the same. And, uh, you know, the filmmakers are not all LDS. There's a Christian filmmakers, they're filmmakers with good values. What we want is for families to be able to come and see these movies together, no matter 
what it is. And, that, and that's not saying there's some tough subjects that are, that are tackled in these films. They're not all rainbows, you know, and mm-hmm. roses there. There are some tough subjects that, that come along uh, with a lot of these, with a lot of these movies, there's, you know, there's happiness, there's sadness, there's things that may make you feel a little uncomfortable, but it, they're still appropriate for the festival itself. Well, and I, whenever I hear that too, like I think of uh, family friendly or family appropriate, and I think, well, yeah, my family has hard times sometimes. My family yeah. has difficult things that occur, and so to me, yeah, the idea of family friendly is always everything is cheery. Like it's first of all not realistic, and second of all, I'm like, whose family is that? I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had yeah. that family. My family is hard, and there's disagreements, and there's subjects that we don't know how to, you know, get into and onboard and all that. Um, one of the things that I've loved in all of the opportunities that I've had to talk about the different folks that have held, held headed up the uh, the film festival is the specific programming. So you're nervous, you're anxious, you want to sell tickets. What's coming up at the film festival this year that people need to go? Oh, either I need to travel to Utah to check this out, or I need to make the time living in Utah and come down and check it out well first of all we're really excited about our opening night film our opening night film is is a feature-length documentary about it's called waterman and it's about uh, the father of surfing uh, duke kahanamoku and uh it it captures it, it tells a story that certainly i knew of duke but i didn't know who he was as a person and how important he was to the hawaiian uh culture and community uh, and really all over the world, there's statues of Duke in many different places throughout the world. I didn't know he was an Olympic swimmer that won medals at the Olympics. <laughs> and uh, these are some of the things you find out in this documentary. So that film opens the festival for us. We will have um, uh, pr- the producer, director uh, there. Uh, we're, we're trying to bring in some others who are involved with the making of the film to, to make it that experience that we want to give our festival goers. So that's opening night only one film on opening night and that would be uh wednesday march 2nd at uh film starts at seven reception starts at six uh then from there uh there's just a host of uh, feature length documentaries uh short documentaries short films uh music videos i mean there's some films that have been in the theater already but missed the festival last year like mission stories and once i was engaged those are two other feature films that'll be in the festival and what we learned this year is that that Feature films are hard to come by right now. Mm-hmm. The, the short short films and short documentaries were high in submissions, but feature films were ve- were very small. It takes a lot to craft a, an hour, thirty minute, two hour movie, you know. And there's one. There's a student out of BYU named Parker Gehring who uh, wrote and directed a film called Lucy and Whitney, and uh, he just graduated from the film program there. And it's one of the films in the festival that we're very proud of because it was home homegrown so to speak but there's films from all over the world um that are in the, that are in the festival you know people that haven't ever been to a film festival when they think of a short film i think that that may uh maybe some be, people hear that and go so what i'm paying full price for a, a 10 minute movie and then i get up and get out how do the how does the shorts program work yeah so yeah like you said like feature films will be standalones but uh with the short films and short documentaries they'll be in blocks so they'll still run between an hour and two hours in, in their blocks. So you'll be able to see three movies um, that are shorts versus just one short film and then you have to come and go. So then what will happen is those Q&As will then you know, follow the block with, with the filmmakers. We'll each have opportunities to uh, talk to each, each one of them. 
I know this is a lot like asking you to pick your favorite child. Uh, I I know that you happen to have a favorite child. We don't need to discuss that at this point. Because uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? They may hear this. But uh, are, are there particular things that you're really looking forward to seeing the audience reaction or, or a particular discussion that you're excited to be facilitating at this year's festival? You know, there's a, a really interesting film that we all love in the festival called Bright Spark. And we're interested to see the reaction of that. It, it, it's a documentary, it's a feature length. It tells the story of uh, three friends who uh, went through the BYU Fine Arts uh, program um, in the, I think it was the 60s, 1960s, 70s. Um, and it, it covers a lot of ground with their, their lives and where their lives went after they got out of this program, their interaction in, in creating art for the LDS church. And then, you know, exploring their own creative desires what what those would be so i'm really interested to see how people react to that we we loved it everybody that's looked at it has loved it but but it's one of those films that you know like you said doesn't always come off as being warm warm and fuzzy there's some tough things that get get discussed in that movie i mean we do have the warm and fuzzy movies too like grandpa's mm -hmm. crazy grandpa's mm -hmm. crazy is just a fun little comedy that um, was directed by one of our board members, Dana Gerald, um, and produced by Dave Bresnahan. So we're excited about that one. There's another one called Redeemed, uh, the Sioni Havili story, uh, which is um, Vice Kahema, if you know him, he is uh, obviously a general authority of the church right now, but a former pro football player and BYU football player. He does the interviewing in this, in this short film called Redeemed. So there's a lot that we're excited about to see the reaction of. Some will make you laugh, some will make you cry, some will make you think. So there'll be a lot of um, different emotions you experience during the festival. Are there also workshops if, if say, I'm a, um, an interested filmmaker, I want to learn either how to write or direct or, you know, be able to pick the brains of folks that way? Are there opportunities for someone like that at the LDS Film Festival? Yeah, I love the fact that you brought that up. Thank you. So on Friday and Saturday of the festivals, we'll be having the workshops, or we call them panels. Uh, and one of them actually is, how do I become? How do I become an actor? How do I become an actress? How do I become a producer, a screenwriter, a director, a crew member? So we'll have a, a you know panel of experts with that. We'll have others that'll go behind the scenes of the making of some of these projects. We'll talk about movie clubs, the, the latest thing in, in streaming, you know, how you can pick out movies from these movie clubs and watch them at home with a, with a subscription, mm -hmm. you know, that are similar to like Netflix, except they're, they're based, you know, strongly for an LDS family audience. You know, so th there's those kind of uh, workshops. There's going to be a visual effects workshop. So, yes, to your to your point, the workshops, I think, are as valuable at a film festival as the films themselves. If people want to help you be less nervous, they want to attend, uh, they want to be able to be a part of this. Where do you send them? LDSfilmfest.com. Um, you can go to our Facebook page, LDS Film Festival, Instagram, uh, and the CIRA center uh also the sarah center is where the event is taking place in orem uh, they're one of our partners uh you know we have a lot of sponsors that help make this happen without our sponsors we we couldn't do a festival and without the support of the sarah we couldn't we couldn't do it either because they give us really a block of time that's pretty valuable mm -hmm. to them and they give it to us to to run this festival 
Well, Marshall, there is a question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. This is what we call a hard shift in journalism right now, because it, it's not necessarily the tone of what we've been talking about, but I think that it does coincide with it. Um, but we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall to interpret this how they may. But what is your favorite part of your faith? The way it makes me feel. I, I feel comfortable. I feel at peace uh, with when I'm living my faith. I feel inner inner peace, and I think that's the thing I've learned most in in, in my personal life. Is inner peace is probably the greatest gift that you can have. Is having a clear conscience and clear thought, um, and and feel good about who you are, and and living my faith allows me uh, to do that. Well, Marshall, we will put the link to LDSFilmFest.com in the show notes so people can go and check it out. It's worth traveling for, or if you're a Utah local making the drive down or up to Orem, depending on where you live in the state, uh, to be able to check it out. It's multiple days, so don't give me your excuses, uh, Marshall Moore from the LDS Film Festival. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Debbie Wanless, Rick McGee, Brother Brent, Miracles, I Told You So, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be 